I am excited for, for tonight. We're going to talk about the greatest treasure, the treasure of great price. Um, and what we treasure is, is an amazing thing. And if we don't know how valuable something is, we are likely to throw away something of great value. And I don't know if you, has anyone ever thrown away something later to figure out you threw away something that was really expensive? Yeah, I, I have been guilty of this when we were, how, we, I don't know how long we've been married. It wasn't real long after we got married. Uh, one of our, our first, I think, anniversaries, my, uh, anniversary, birthday, I don't know, some holiday, my father-in-law sent me a card. And so I'm like, oh, cool, I get a card. Like, my family didn't do much for cards growing up, and so... I'm like, this is, this is cool. I get a card, I pull it out. I'm like, all right, look, it says something fun. And like you read it and then pitch it because that's what you do. Or you save it for a little bit or then you throw it away or throw away the envelope. Well, I talked to him, I don't know, like a week later or two days later, whatever it was. I'm like, hey, hey, thanks for the card. He's like, did you get the gift card? There was a gift card? Yeah, there was a gift card to Home Depot in there. I'm like, I love Home Depot. I spend way too much at Home Depot. That would be great. And I'm all like, oh, trash day was yesterday. It's gone. I threw it away because I didn't know that what I had was valuable. I didn't know there was something else inside that envelope that was of significant value or significant to me value. But this is a thing. And, and uh, I think a lot of times... That's our story. I read, okay, I have to confess, if you forward me something on Facebook, I'm probably going to ignore it. I love you, but I hate Facebook forwards. Um, but I actually, I read one. I don't know if it, was, it ended up being a forward or if it was one that someone posted, but I, I saw this one and, it, and it, it was good and it kind of reminded me of what we're, we're talking about tonight. This dad, his daughter is getting older and she, she can drive now and he's like, you know what? I've got a gift for you. So he tells his daughter, I have, I have an old car that I bought years ago, but before I give it to you, uh, I need you to do something for me. She's like, okay, I'm going to get a car out of this. Yeah. And so he's like, all right, take the car. I want you to go down to the used car dealer and just ask them how much they'll give you for the car. So she drives the car down there and asks, you know, hey, how much will you give me for this old car? And they look at it and they're like, you know what? We'll give you $1,000 for that car. Pretty old, looks pretty worn out, but we'll give you a thousand bucks for it. So she drives back to dad and says, all right, I did what you asked. I took it to the used car dealership. They said they'd give me a thousand bucks. He goes, okay, take the car to the pawn shop and ask them what they'll give it to you for, what they'll give you for it. She does it. And they look at it and they go, it's an old car. We'll give you a hundred bucks. Drives back to dad and says, okay, they said they'd give me a hundred bucks for this old car. He goes, okay. Now I want you to go down to the car club over there and ask them what they'll give you for the car. And, you know, it, it, she's a teenager, but she's like, you know what, I'm going to get a car out of this. So she goes down there and, uh, and asks, and she comes back and she goes, some people at the club offered me $100,000 for the car because it's a Nissan Skyline R34. and it It's an iconic car sought after by many collectors. And I just, I started thinking about this and, and like this one came with like a nice pretty lesson, but that's not the lesson I want to show. But, <laughs> but, my, but this idea that just because someone deems something is not very valuable doesn't make it not very valuable. The pawn shop said that car is worth a hundred bucks, 
but you turn around and take it to the right spot and they go, oh, I'll give you a hundred grand. And, and it's just this massive difference, but I think a lot of times in our own life, we treat things that are a, a great treasure like a walking piece of trash. And we don't value things. And so, so I, I started thinking about this and, I, and I, I'm gonna combine a couple of thoughts. So we're gonna set this thought aside over here. That if we don't value something, if we don't know something's value, we'll mistreat it or even throw away something that has great worth. Okay, so hold that thought and we'll come back to that thought. And, and, and we're looking at, at, at what is this great treasure? Well, Jesus tells us a story about a great treasure. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So you've got this guy. He, he finds, he's out there. He, he finds this treasure. And he says, this is amazing, but it belongs to whoever owns the field. If I take it right now, I'm a thief. Bury it and go buy the field. Like, this is brilliant. And so he goes and he sells everything and, and it's this, this great picture of this price and the length that he goes to to get this treasure because he knows when I buy this land that what I'm getting is worth so much more. And so he pays this great price because he values it. And then Jesus goes on in the next verse, in verse 45 or 46, whatever verse I'm on now, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, Jesus is telling this, this parable. He's talking about the kingdom and how when you understand its value, it's going to change how you live. But he lays out a principle that's really simple that I want just to, to lay out as grand, groundwork tonight. This principle of exchange. This principle um, that you trade things that you value for things that you value more. Is everyone tracking with me? This is not like a, a crazy rocket science principle. You're like, I went to the grocery store, I understand this. I was glad I had money, but I wanted food. So I traded my money for my food. Or you're like, I need the gas. So I traded my money for my gas or my car. And, and you constantly do this. And then you look at some things and you're like, that's overpriced. There's no way I'm paying that. So in my, my preparation for this message, I was kind of thinking about value and numbers and, and who values things. And I looked up some art thing. Okay, like a year ago, in December of 2019, this guy, this artist, came up with this brilliant, they said brilliant masterpiece. He taped a banana to a wall. For real, you can look this up. Duct tape banana to the wall, declared it this masterpiece, and sold it for $120,000. I'm like, what? Who pays that? You can recreate this for like a dollar. <laughs> Anyways, but I look at that and I'm like, there's no way I would exchange that much money for a banana duct taped to a wall. So, so there's things that you look at and you go, okay, this is so worth it. I'll exchange my money. I'll exchange what I value. I will trade this for what you have. And there's other things you look at and you go, there's no way because I don't value what you have as much as what I would be trading. Okay, this is, this is simple. Hold that and think about this verse. This is a verse that's, that most people have heard. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, the principle of the exchange says, I'll give what I value for what I value more. And Jesus just told us a parable about the great treasure where when someone found it, they were willing to sell everything that they had to get it. But John 3.16 says that God saw a great treasure. He saw what he valued that he was willing to pay the highest price for. He went through and said, I value you. I value people. I value relationship with you enough that I will pay the price for relationship. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says that Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He says that he paid the price looking forward, going, this is what it's for. And he goes, it was for something that was worth it. And so I valued that enough. I was willing to pay the price. And so I'm beginning to like ponder this idea that Jesus declared us to be of the greatest value. That he wants a relationship with us. In Philippians 2, it says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being in the, born in the likeness of man. He emptied himself to reach us. And so I begin to just kind of begin to, to play with this idea that if I don't understand something's value, I am not going to treat it right. I'm not going to treasure it. But then Jesus declared that the greatest treasure is the treasure that you would sell all that you have to go and get. And then Jesus went and said that he gave everything for us. That he declared us his treasure. And as I begin to process this, I begin to think about that car. In the beginning, that just because somebody else would only give him $100 didn't mean it was a $100 car. It was a $100,000 car. If she got gypped by selling it for $100, they'd be sad. But it's a $100,000 car. And I begin to look and go, okay, so, so help me try to wrap my mind around this idea and this, this incredible love of God. And then I realized that my brain struggles with this. And then I discovered I'm not even the only one who struggles. People struggle with this so much that Paul, in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 3, better not spill water on my stuff here, but Ephesians 3, he prays, he's praying for the church in Ephesus and he says this, I'm praying that you can be rooted and grounded in love and may, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. He goes, I'm gonna pray for you to understand this love because it is beyond your ability. His love for you is so great, you need help to understand it. And so I started thinking about this and, and then I'm like, okay, I have a mic and it's making weird noise. Okay, I know this in my head. Have you ever known something in your head and then found out you didn't actually know it? Okay, so I, case in point, I was thinking, I'm like, I know about the love of God. I know. And then I was reading my old, the Old Testament and they're getting ready to build the temple and David is excited about the temple. He's like, man, we are going to build a temple for God and it is going to be amazing. 
He goes, I want to make sure it's amazing. And he's like, my son's going to build it. I want to make sure he doesn't cut any corners. I want to make sure that they have plenty for it. So he decides he's going to give an offering in order to make this happen. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14. This isn't like all of everybody's offering. This is David's offering. He goes, with great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I've provided. To these, you must add. Okay, when I read that, I'm like, that sounds like a lot. But does anyone here, like, work in talents on a regular basis? Okay, so let me translate, because it took some translating for me. I, I look at this. A talent is 75 pounds. So if he gave 75, 100,000 talents of 75 pounds, each made of 16 ounces, today's gold spot price of $1,824 would mean just the gold that he gave was $218 billion, 880 million. Okay, so that's just the gold plus the silver and all this other stuff. And then Solomon added to it and the people added to it. So there is a, this, like this temple, there's a lot in this. And I'm reading through the Old Testament and I'm like, wow, this is so amazing. Like they have, like they have made this place to honor God and have put so much money and so much value into it. I'm like, this is like, like I'm feeling proud of the temple for God. Like, I'm like, this is amazing. And so, you know, the story goes on and I, I read about David and I read about Solomon and then Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam becomes king. And then it says that Rehoboam, in, in 2 Chronicles 12, when Rehoboam was established and strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord. And so he turned his heart away from God. And then in verse five, God goes, fine, if your heart's not with me, then I'm gonna turn you over and let let your enemies, like, I'm not going to be the one to protect you if you don't want me. If you don't want me there, if you don't want my help, okay. And, and so they're like, okay, maybe, maybe we'll repent if, if you know, this is going to happen. And God goes, okay, well, if, if you're only going to follow me when things are, are, are a little rough, then I, I, I'll keep them. I'll keep you safe, but I'll let them come and take the stuff. And they come and they raided the treasures of the temple. And I read that I'm like, God, that's your temple. Like, you don't remember? That was like a crazy offering. That was hundreds of billions of dollars of stuff, and you just let them come. Like, if I was God, I'd have been like, all right, I'll show you that I'm God. Touch my temple and die. Just like lightning bolts or like little like ground opening up and swallowing people. You're like, you'll know. Yeah, who's God? You walk up and try to steal something from his temple. And zzz, zzz. I'm like, maybe that's, but... So I am reading this and I'm like, I'm having this internal dialogue and then all of a sudden it occurs to me, God didn't care about the money. I'm like, but it was beautiful. But this was an extravagant gift. And you know what? God was excited about the gift. Do you want to know why? Not because of the money, not because of the gold, not because of the beauty, but because there was a heart attached to it. He goes, you gave me what you valued and I valued you. I wanted a relationship with you. And I looked and I'm like, apparently I, I know this in my head, but I'm forgetting it. Because I get, like, I felt my own emotion as I, as I read through the story. But I'm like, but God just wants our heart. 
God treasures people. And when I look and I can stand here and I can say, God treasures you. And some of you are like, yeah. And others are like, God treasures people. Other people. And it's so easy to get into this myth of, yeah, I believe that God could love people, but just not me. You just don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. How could God love me? Yeah, so God, for God so loved the world, everybody else in it. And, and I remember being in a service uh, years ago that I spoke at, and I got done, and a lady caught me down by the altar, and I, I knew this lady. This lady has been involved in church for a long time. And she just comes up and she just, I don't know if you ever like, you, you go to talk to somebody and you can see that whatever is about to come out is going to be emotional. Like the emotion's like already there. I'm talking. And she just broke. And she's like, how could he love me? 20 years ago, I had an abortion. And she just broke and she goes, you didn't, no one knows my brokenness. I have been hiding my brokenness, but God knows how could he love me? And so often we look and we go, I understand that God could love somebody like Pastor Duane or Pastor Jeannie. But me? You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what I haven't done. You don't understand the places that I've come short. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait until we were perfect to love us. God didn't wait and he didn't say, you know what? If you can be awesome, I'll have a relationship with you. If you can get your life together, then I'll accept you. Now he goes, you're such a mess, there's not a chance in the world you're going to get your life right. So I'll pay the price to wash you clean and to set things straight, to make things new so that we can have fellowship and a relationship again. And I begin to look at this and I realized, do you know what, like, I think, in my opinion, the most popular movie plot of all time is? There is a damsel in distress. And there is a hero who will go to whatever lengths to save the damsel in distress. And this is from like your classic Disney princess movies to your action-packed hero movies where they have to rescue the princess from or the princess, the, the wife, the girlfriend, the daughter, the whoever she may be. Do you realize that the story of the Bible is a story of the price that was paid to rescue that which was lost. This is a love story about you. See, if I, if I open this up in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, I see the plot as it begins. I see a God who makes man and wants a relationship with him and wants to walk in fellowship with them in the garden. And I see it and it's exciting and, and everything is good and God's excited and he tells them, hey, there's only like one rule. Don't do this. And they do the one thing he says he's not supposed to do and they let in sin. They let in the devil. They let in sickness and destruction. And when God comes, he, he sees what they have done in Genesis chapter three. And, and he goes through it and, 
And he goes, oh my word, there's, there's, there's brokenness and there's sin. But even in his first dealing with it, there are some consequences, but he goes, and he makes a promise and he goes, hey, one of your descendants will crush Satan. I'm gonna make this right. And so from Genesis, we see God make man, love man, have relationship with man, man break out of fellowship with God and God go, I will make this right. And as you begin to page through, you see God begin to take a people and set aside a people and begin to create a law so that they could begin to recognize who he is, that they could recognize that sin had to be paid for so that when he paid for sin, they could recognize it. And you see this as it goes through and you see prophecies of that, that he would come. And then in, in, when you get to the New Testament, you see that God came as a man in order to pay the price and, and fulfill these prophecies so they, they could recognize him and he died to pay the price for us. He rose again so that we could have a hope and that we could have a future. And then he commissioned people to carry on, to carry out this, the, to carry the gospel, to carry this good news to others. And we watch as, it, as they face all sorts of different trials and things, but they, they spread this gospel. It's why we've heard of it today. And then you get to the very end of the book and you see what is, what is God's goal as we get to the end of this thing. If you get very too far, you get to the appendix here. You get, okay, but you get to the, the end, you get to Revelation chapter 21. And you find that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and God will be with man. Man will be with God. Right, let's read this. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God will be with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Five times in this verse. He stresses the connection and the relationship. And then he goes on and says, yeah, there's gonna, he's going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. But you know what he stresses? We're going to be together. This is what it's all about. I want a relationship with you forever. I paid everything so that we could be together. And I, and I, and I looked at this and I'm like, this is amazing. This God who would not give up, this God who, who chose us and sought after us. And there's a story of this love that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And, and, there, and as I look at this, there's, there's something I think that we need to understand. Because so many of us are lost in this story. See, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story that, that's often referred to in the church as the story of the prodigal son. But the story is actually much bigger than the prodigal. See, there's this dad, and he's got two kids. The two boys. The younger one comes to dad one day and is like, hey dad, uh, I would like my inheritance now. You are alive and that's going to take too long. Can I have my inheritance? And I'm like, wow, that's, that's gutsy. I'm like, I kind of expect dad to be like, what did you want? Was this what you wanted? Like, just like knock out the, 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 the like, I'm not dead. Um, you might be, but I'm not. Like, so so you, you see this and you, and you go, okay, so what's, what's going to happen? But the, the father divides all that he has between his two boys. And the younger one takes it and takes off. And he goes, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make friends. I now have money. I'm going to party. I'm going to be popular. And it's going to fulfill me. And he goes out and he has lots of friends because he has lots of money. And he buys them drinks and he throws lots of party. And he lives in, in, uh, 
this, this, this reckless party life. And then he runs out of money and a famine strikes. And you're like, ah, bad timing awards go to you. And uh, he ends up working for a pig farmer. And as a Jew, this was like the most disgusting, worst thing that he could be doing. And he's there. And while he's there, he's looking at a pig, wishing he was the pig. Because the pig got food. He wanted to eat the pig's food. That's messed up. And and in that spot, he goes, oh man, my dad's servants go to bed full. And here I am in a pig pen wishing I could eat the pig slop. He goes, maybe, just maybe if I go back and beg my dad for forgiveness, he'll let me be a servant. And he takes takes off with this goal in mind. I'm going to beg dad, be a servant. Like he starts practicing his speech. Anyone ever like practice their repentant speech, their I'm sorry speech? Anyone ever do that? Okay, maybe just me. Like, all right. So, so he's got this, he's down and he's going. But what we see is when he gets close to home, his father was watching for him. And when his father sees him from a long way off, you don't see someone from a long way off if you're not looking a long way off. And so father runs out to meet him. And when father shows up, he's like, hey, dad, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And dad's like, and you're back. He's like, will you make me? And he like hugs him. He's, he just like cuts off his, like, his speech. He's prepared a speech. And his dad just like forgives him in the middle of it and gives him a hug and gives him a robe. And he says, you're back. I'm so excited. Let's have a party. And he's like, but... I messed up. And he gets back to there and their dad's throwing this big old party and then his brother shows up. And when his brother shows up, his older brother never left. His brother's been working really hard. Brother shows up and he's like, what's the party for? He asks the servant and the servant's like, oh, your little brother came back. See, my little brother came back? You mean that punk? Dishonored dad, took the stuff and left? That's the one. Dad comes out. He's like, your brother's back, man. We're throwing a party. He's like, what do you mean you're throwing a party? He's an idiot. Do you remember what he did? Do you remember what he said? Remember how he wasted all your stuff? He's like, I, I've been slaving away for years and you didn't even give me a skinny goat. And uh, dad's like, everything I have is yours. And there's a whole other lesson in, in that statement because he literally had everything that his father had was his. But that's another lesson. But he goes through, and as I looked, I realized something. The younger son was trying, saw himself through the lens of his failure. The older brother saw himself through the lens of his performance. Neither of them saw themselves through the eyes of the father. And the father just goes, you're my son. I love you. Welcome home. And and as I looked at this, I realized that the older brother isn't alone. I don't know if you've ever heard of a stereotype of a judgmental church. 
But you know what a judgmental church is? It's broken people trying to find acceptance and performance by pointing out that someone's performance is worse than theirs. It's going, God, can I be acceptable? Look, they did something worse than me. I don't know if you have kids, but if you have kids, they compete in every... Okay, maybe it's just my genes where we're kind of competitive, but my kids compete in everything. Well, he did this. Well, I didn't do that. Well, he did that. He said... And they're like, it's like this competition. I mean, they've got in fights to see who can get in the car first. They've got like, it just... But we do that as Christians sometimes. When we forget who we are, it becomes, well, but they said, but they did but I'm not as bad as. And we sit there and we push and we try to climb and we try to earn the acceptance that's already been given. And it's a sad thing because your value is not determined by what somebody else said to you. It's not determined by what you said about you. It's not determined by what you did. It's not determined by what somebody else did to you. And so often I've, I hear from people, I talk to people and, and I watch and it's really a lot easier to see the struggle in other people. I'm not claiming that I'm perfect. But when you watch somebody who's broken and hurting because they're trying to find their value in whether or not they performed or whether or not you accepted them. We're just hearing from somebody who was just broken because somebody else rejected them. Somebody else questioned how they did something, how they performed at something, and they said, okay, they don't accept me because I made a mistake or because they think I made a mistake, then maybe I'm not worth it. But how you performed is not who you are or what you are. And what they said about you is not what determines your value. Because no matter how much they offered for that car, that's not what it turned out over there. $100, $1,000, they, all they had to do was walk to the right spot and it was a $100,000 vehicle. And a lot of times we're sitting here going, but, but, but I performed over here, am I worth this? Am I worth this? And God goes, no, no, no. I declared you to be the great treasure. You're worth my life. You're worth everything that heaven has to offer. It's why I came for you. Because I love you and I want a relationship with you. And so often, we struggle because we don't know his love. But the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. And I have to look and I have to say, God loves you. Next thing you need to understand God loves other people too. And I've been called to share his love. And if you've encountered God and you know God, you've been called to share his love. Jesus says, this is how they'll know that you're my disciples, by the way you love. And he goes, when you begin to understand who you are, then you become free to value other people because I don't need to compete with you if I already know who I am. If my pride is on the line, it's really hard to let you in. But if my pride's not on the line, it doesn't matter. When I wrestle with my five-year-old, my pride is not on the line. It is very easy to let my five-year-old win and he thinks he's awesome. You're like... Yeah! A lot of times we struggle because we are looking for how did I perform? How much money have I stacked up? 
How, much, how many people have told me I did a good job? Did I get the promotion? Did I get the raise? Have I performed at work? Have I performed here? Have I accomplished what I thought was gonna be the mark of success? God goes, that mark of success isn't what defines you. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. And I paid the price, and I declared that you are the great treasure. You, having a relationship with you, is what God is after. And he wants you to introduce others to him, to show his love to the world around you. And if you don't know that love, I want to give you an opportunity to encounter that love and that grace, that forgiveness that he was willing to pay the greatest price to offer to us. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If, if you want to receive that love, if you want to know that you're right with God and you're on your way to heaven, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you're online, I'll give you a chance to text in or to uh, click on the banner there. But if you say, today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to receive his love. I want to receive his forgiveness. I want to find my identity in him. Then when I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. So that's me. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand. Who else says that's me? Most important decision that anybody ever makes. Awesome. All right. We're going to say a simple prayer. And the Bible says that whoever calls in his name will be saved. He offered this to us and we get to respond to his invitation. So I'm going to ask everyone to, that's, done, that's either done it before or who raised their hand to join me in this prayer and just say, God, thank you for loving me. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.